Welcome to the Stuttgart Missional Community Church Sermon Podcast. SMCC is a multicultural church serving the English-speaking community in Stuttgart, Germany. For more information or to contact us, visit us on the web at smcchurch.net. That's smcchurch.net. So the title of our sermon today is called The Inaugural Address. Um, This happens in Jesus' hometown in Nazareth. If you take notes, you can know that this happened um, three different times, or the same thing. It's recorded three different times in the gospel. It's recorded in Matthew 13. It's recorded in Mark 6. But Luke puts it in Luke chapter 4 right after uh, Jesus was tempted by the devil himself, right? So after he beat the devil, because Luke is letting his readers know the gospel account, like this is why Jesus came. So if you ever wondered what Jesus' ministry was, what he really came to do, guess what? We're going to talk about it today. And if you already knew and you need to remember how you should be to other people, guess what? This is for you too. So everyone gets something out of the sermon today, okay? So let's pray real quick. Um, We'll be in Luke chapter 4, and then I'll go ahead and pray. Father God, just thank you for this time to meet together. Um, Lord Jesus, I just ask that you would open our hearts and minds, that we'd receive what you want us to receive, God, that you would make your word come alive, Lord God, that you would speak through me um, and be able to speak into people's situations and circumstances, Lord, and what they're dealing with and be able to help them, Lord, encourage them, challenge them, bless them, Lord. Um, We just thank you. We give you all the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, guys, so Luke chapter 4, starting at verse 16. When you're there, say amen, or you can look at the Sky Bible. If you, if you notice, I asked you to say amen a lot. It's because I've just it's been so long since I've seen you. So if I annoy you, I'm really not sorry. I'm going to keep doing it, okay? Just kidding. All right, verse 16. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And all the eyes, or the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him and began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? You know, everyone needs to hear and know that Jesus brings hope. Amen? Somebody say amen. You got to know that, right? Jesus brings hope. And before we dive too much into that, I just, something jumped out of, of the scriptures when I was reading this. It says, as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on Sabbath day. I don't know about you, but as a Christian, I would think we try to follow Christ, right? We try to be like Christ. And you see, it was his normal routine to meet with other people and worship God. Why is that important? Because I know of so many Christians that don't go to a church or don't meet together church before the quarantine. I understand we're in a weird situation now, but before there was that, that they wouldn't come to church because either they've been hurt or, or they think the church is full of hypocrites 
You, don't, you ever heard this? You've known these people? Maybe you were one. Like nobody in there, nobody looks like Jesus in that church. You know, I'm not going to that church or whatever. Or you think that the pastor really doesn't feed me. Like I just really don't get anything from his message. Like why go? What's the point? You know what I mean? And if there was anyone that could use those excuses, wouldn't it have been Jesus? I mean, right? The religious system in his day was corrupt. Like he was speaking against religious leaders on a daily basis, challenging them, showing them, you are far from the heart of God right now. Yet, he still met in the synagogue. Was there anything they could teach Jesus about God that he did not already know? Come on, guys. He's the living embodiment. He's the word made flesh, right? Like, there's nothing you could tell Jesus. Oh, do you know about this, about God? What? I had no idea. Jesus knew, right? Yet, that was not his excuse. So if we want to be like Jesus, I know this is a transition church, and you probably won't be here forever, but where you do go, don't not assemble with other people because of certain issues you have. Even if there's a church, they're, they're preaching the gospel, but, but the whole church, they just seem crooked, and they are hypocritical, and they're not full of love. How should you handle that situation? Well, let me give you an example. How do you prove that a stick is crooked do you argue someone about it, or do you just lay a straight stick next to it? That's what it looks like. Be the light wherever you go. Even in a church that people aren't the way they should be, be like, I'm going to show you with my life and my actions how Jesus calls us to live. And you can challenge and love and bless that church more than you can even imagine. Amen? Amen. So I just want to throw that in there. Don't know why, but the Lord wants me to talk about it. Okay, so we see Jesus. He gets handed the scroll, and he's reading from Isaiah 61. So he, he knows the scriptures, right? He specifically targets this place where it speaks of the Messiah. And he reads it and then just sits down. Like, what? Ultimate mic drop. Like, and then sits down and he's like, oh, by the way, that's about me. It's been fulfilled. Like, I'm the Messiah you've been waiting for. And it's like, what? Like, that's, I mean, I used thug last service and that's probably not appropriate. But to me, that's like, that's a thug moment, Right? If you, if you get offended by that, I'm sorry. But anyways, that's just like, man, Jesus was legit, right? And so he not only reads it and, and proclaims it, but he's showing us how he's, what he's going to do, what the purpose of his ministry is. And it's important for us to know this because we have that same ministry. If we follow Jesus, we should be acting and doing what Jesus did. Amen? So what does he talk about? He talks about proclaiming the good news to the poor. you got to think there are a lot of different types of poverty, in a sense, right? You have physical poverty. You have people that do have physical needs that are, are in countries around the world that, that can't get food or whatever else. They don't have jobs. They're struggling. Jesus is there to bring them good news, to bring them hope, right? You have people that are emotionally poor, right? That they are just, they've been so bogged down by fear and anxiety or whatever else. And they're like, they, it's almost, they become to a point where they are just numb. You know what I'm talking about? We can just be in a place where you're just like, I'm done. Don't even care. You can have people that are spiritually poor that, like, even if they're trying to follow Jesus, they get to the point, like, my faith is just weak. Like, I just, I just don't. Jesus is like, I'm coming to bring you hope. I'm coming to bring you good news. You, you see, he's, he's for people also that are oppressed and shackled down. And, yes, we can think of physical slavery, right, like, which is terrible. It's not condoned. But yet, what about people that are mentally and emotionally shackled? What about people that are stuck in those destructive mindsets that they just can't seem to get out? Those destructive addictions and habits that they keep circling around in their mind, in their process of life. And they're, they're so consumed with everything else with, you know, like fear, anxiety or the future. So worried about the future all the time. Jesus is like, I'm coming to set you free. 
if you trust me. You don't have to live that type of way. You don't have to live where you are shackled. And so for us to know that Jesus can do that for us, we also, if we know this, then we should do it for other people. If you see a need, if you see someone struggling, they're not there by accident. Jesus is wanting to use you to bless them in whatever way he allows you to, however you can help them. Amen? And you may think, you know what, Jordan, this is great, and I know I'm supposed to do this, but I love Jesus, and I'm captive right now. Like, I'm struggling right now. I feel like I'm in chains emotionally or physically or whatever else, Like, and I'm struggling. Like, what do I do now? And I want to point you to what Jesus did. You notice after he read it that he sat down and said, it has been fulfilled. Why is that important? Because Jesus knew you were going to be born. He knew what you were going to struggle with, what was going to try to oppress you, all the thoughts that were coming against you. And yet he talks as if it's already done, as if you were already walking in victory and freedom, if you trust in him, that he will provide a way. Amen. And so you can look at these situations where it doesn't matter if it's, if it's bills you don't know how to pay or it's healing that you have prayed for and prayed for and prayed for and not gotten or it's kids that are so far from God. If you continue to trust in Jesus and, and allow him, give him the situation, he will take care of it. He sees the big picture. He makes the right choice for you. And he answers the prayers the way he sees fit. And for us, it's something that, I mean, even I've done recently, we, we, we do something where we get liberated, right? Like God sets us free in an area on Monday, and Tuesday we're like, give it back. I was really struggling with this. I was really worried. God, I give this to you. Please take it. And then he does, and Tuesday comes around, and you're like, well, I'm just going to keep worrying about that issue again. I'm just going to take it right back. And then we just keep putting ourselves, we lock ourselves into those those bad thoughts or habits or actions and, and habits or actions, and we just we are the ones that rechain ourselves. We chain our minds. We change us emotionally. And so Jesus gives us the freedom we need to be liberated, but we must accept the grace to stay liberated. We've got to continue to trust in Jesus. Like God, I gave it to you, and sometimes it does look like that. Every day it comes back, and you're like, God, I give it to you again. God, today I give it to you again until it's, you feel free from it, until he brings you real freedom, because he will. Jesus wants to see you free. And living in freedom can only be accomplished if we continue to abide in Jesus. We have to stay in relationship with Jesus. The way we want to do things, the way we handle things, ultimately leads to uh, despair. Like, it doesn't work out. The way we see things and you get it all planned out and then it actually happens, you're like, well, that didn't work. But if we trust in Jesus, his way leads to joy, the supernatural joy, the supernatural peace in your life. And so like, like Jesus' ministry was to meet every human need he came in contact with. If you read it through the Gospels, there's like no one like he didn't save or help out or something. Like he was constantly helping people out, right, challenging them, blessing them. And so shouldn't we do the same thing? Every need that I've had, Jesus has not only met it, but he's exceeded it. And it, I'm not special, guys. Like, I'm not some superhuman, but like, I'm not. I'm very normal. And so I know if he can do that for me, he wants to do that for you. He just wants you to trust him. And he wants you to be hope to someone else and bring that hope into their lives because no one has to be without hope. Amen? Let's go to verse 23 now, still in Luke chapter 4. And he said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Physician, Heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, truly, I say to you, 
no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and a great famine came over all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. Filled with wrath. You know, we aren't alone when we feel tossed to the side, because Jesus relates to rejection. He understands rejection. You see Jesus, and he's, he's, he's telling him why he's here. And, and first off, they're talking well of him, right? gracious words. They're like, wow, this guy, man, Jesus, you're pretty cool, man. But then he cuts right to their hearts. He's like, it's a facade. This is not the real you. I know the real you. Jesus knows the real you, okay? You can't put a front up to God. He knows your heart. He knows your real motives. He knows where you're really at. And Jesus knew that his people were going to reject him. He knew it. It was a reality. He knew it wasn't a matter of, um, is it going to happen? When will it happen? When will they reject me for real? And so Israel, this, they've been praying for the Messiah to come, right? And like we, we went through the Old Testament, what, a year and a half? And some of those moments seem pretty long, right? Some of the sermons can seem like really long because you're like, why are we talking about this? Can you imagine living through all of that? Those hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years and waiting for this promise that's supposed to come. Where are you at, Messiah? Where are you at, Messiah? And at this point, they've been praying for this so long and he shows up and they can't even recognize him. They don't even know, and ultimately they are going to reject him. And they thought they knew Jesus. Like, that's the carpenter's son, right? That's who, like, we've seen him grow up in Nazareth. Like, what? Now he's claiming to be the son of God? What? They thought he knew him. And I wonder if you've kind of experienced something like that in your life, where people, when they look at you, they don't see the transformation happening. They don't see who God is creating you to be. They see your past. They see your failures They see where you offended them, where you messed up. And when some people think of you, that's what they see. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever felt like that happened? You know, people, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but some people just want to see you fall flat on your face. They just want to see you fail. They don't want to see you succeed. Because if you fail, it somehow makes them feel better about themselves. Right? I think we all experience this as kids. Someone falls out, ha, at least I didn't fall. You know what I mean? Like, and, and as adults, that's something that happens that we, in just a weird, really weird, destructive way, that we feel that way sometimes about people. People can feel that way to you. And, you know, I still know of people that, that they're waiting to see me fail in my walk with God. They're waiting for me to fall and be like, knew it, just knew it, right? And we think that, you know, it's, it's easy to say, I don't care what people think about me. I don't care. But in reality, do we? Yes? Y'all are quiet to me. First service was quiet too, and I felt all alone. So, okay, maybe I'm the only one, but sometimes I really care what other people think about me. Maybe I shouldn't, but it's, it's easy to say, I don't care. But in reality, people are so wishy-washy that one minute they're going to love you. Well, that was great. Great job. Whatever else you're doing great in your life in the next moment, well, you know, don't like you. or They hate your guts or something else. And so it's, it's not only rejection we experience, but it's also our inadequacies that Jesus can understand in our lives. You can be put in a situation because, like Jesus, they thought, you're just a carpenter's son. Like, what are you doing? You didn't, you know, go to Bible school. You didn't go to Bible college. What are you doing walking around preaching the gospel? You know what I mean? And so they only could see him as who, what his trade was in this moment. And so for us, I think the way we see ourselves is just our inadequate version 
that I'm not trained enough to do this. I'm not educated enough to do this. I'm not prepared enough to do this. And so we can have all these things that happen or people can point out all of our flaws. And you think, how could God use someone like me, like at my job? I barely get through my job. Why, you know what I mean? I barely, I don't even feel like I fit in here. Or, or you think as, as a spouse, you're like, I don't even, I don't feel like a good spouse. You're like, God, are you sure? You know what I mean? Can I do this? Can I, or even as a parent, you're like, you know, you, maybe you had great parents and you're like, I can't ever live up to them. Or you had terrible parents and be like, I don't have any frame of reference. What do I do? And all, it doesn't matter. You can feel inadequate no matter what you've experienced, right? What you're going through. But this is the key. If your identity rests in God, if it rests in Christ, then his voice overpowers everything else. It's louder than everything else. Even your own thoughts that come in your mind, God can control, right? God can take control of and be like, no, this is what I say about you. This is how I see you. Stop. If I put you there, if you believe, if you're trusting God and he's put you in a situation, you're like, I don't think I can do it. God put you there for a reason. There's a reason you are there. He can use you wherever you're at. Amen? And I think we also have a, a, a weird perspective on God sometimes. If you, if you look at parents, and I'm slowly experiencing this now, but when your child starts to stand, right, for the first time, or they take their first steps, and they're wibbly, they look ridiculous, you know what I mean, just wobbling around, then they fall over, and you're like, oh, it's so cute, like, wow, that was great, and they take the first step, oh, it's so awesome, and you see them, they fall again, and again, and again, and again, and again, but any normal parent doesn't be like, ah, when will you walk, you know, after the first week, instead, they're like, to help you, pick you back up. I love you. I'm so proud of you. Why don't we see God that way? Why is it when we fail God sometimes we think there's just no hope? I failed you, Lord. Oh, I'm in my head again. You know, instead, we need to have this healthy perspective of God. He is God the Father. He loves you. He wants the best for you. He wants to see you succeed. Even when you fail, you can be like, God, forgive me. I messed up. Please pick me back up. And he's like, I got you. I'm just waiting for you to say something. Right? Just waiting for you to turn to me. We need to have that view of God. It should matter more of what he thinks of you, how he sees you. You know, Psalm says something like this. It says that there are more good thoughts that God has for you as the grains of sand on the seashore. There's a lot of grain of sand on the seashore, right? Have you tried to pick up a handful and count how many grains are in your hand, right? Now imagine the whole seashore. Those all represent good thoughts God has towards you. That's amazing. You have a God that loves you and is proud of you and wants to see you succeed. So even if no one respects you and you're rejected, no one believes you're doing your best, guess what? God can still use you. God still is there for you because it's something that we can take from Jesus that his hometown rejected him, but that didn't stop him from continuing his ministry. He didn't let a room full of 30 people keep him down from doing what God called him to do. Why should we not model Jesus in this? It doesn't matter if everything is against you or whatever else or people rejecting you. If you are doing what God has called you to do, do it. Just continue trusting God in that. And Jesus reminds them with these, these two stories, these two instances of these two prophets, Elijah and Elisha, and how they were sent by God as prophets, and they were rejected by God's people. So God sent them to outsiders. He sent them to Gentiles. And he's reminding Israel this, that I came for you first, but you're going to reject me. And I'm, I'm, I'm dying on the cross for everybody. Like everyone who trusts me, they can put their hope in me. I will help them. I will give them eternal life. And so Israel maybe in this moment have, has hit this place where they think they're better than the Gentiles. 
They've got a stronger claim to God than other people do. No, God, you help me first. You bless me first. And I think it's funny that we can say we're Christians a lot of times, but we act just like the people Jesus spoke up against. I'll give you an example. It's something in my life. Not that I'm very proud of, but it has happened. That it's like I, I've been in moments where I've, I've, you know, I've been going to church been loving Jesus. I did my morning Bible study every day, woo, woo, you know, and I'm like, I'm praying and I'm, and I'm dealing with, like, I'm, I'm trusting God, and yet I'm in a situation where there seems to be no out. There's no escape, and I'm struggling, and I'm dealing with something, right? And I'm like, what is the deal? And then I'll see somebody else, most time on Facebook or Instagram, right? I'm just kidding. But some, some other life, and they're, everything's going great for them. Everything is fine, and guess what? They don't even go to church. Are you kidding me? I go to church, Lord. I serve you so good. They're having a better life than me. And it's really easy to flip into that and thinking that you have a stronger claim to be blessed than other people. Why is it that we pray for God to bless us and forgive us and help us, but you let someone really do something bad to you and look how hard you struggle with forgiving them? Or they do it to your family. Look how hard you struggle forgiving them. Does that model Jesus? I know of people that they, they're praying for God to meet their financial needs, right? And, and they're, they're like, Lord, I spent too much on this or did that or whatever else or went out to eat when I shouldn't have. But you let a dirty homeless guy come up and ask him for five bucks, and they're like, he's going to spend it on cigarettes or alcohol. I'm not giving you $5. You know what I mean? And all the, you, you think, like, who made you the judge of that, right? Who made you the judge of who deserves judgment and mercy and grace? Do we deserve it? If we got what we deserve, you know where we would be? In hell for an eternity. That's what we deserve. Why? Because we have all turned our back to God. We have all sinned. And it is through Jesus' sacrifice, his atonement on the cross, that we can be set free and we can have eternal life. So it's a scary thing to think you are the judge of who deserves your help or who deserves God's help or who deserves forgiveness or grace. It's not up to you. Do you think that Judas deserved for Jesus to wash his feet hours before he betrayed him? You think he deserved that? He was sending a guy, a guy to die on a cross, and Jesus is there. He knows it. He's washing his feet, still showing grace, still showing mercy. So what I'm trying to explain and get out is that don't be the judge of that. It can be a really scary place when you start to figure out who deserves God's grace or who deserves your forgiveness, right? Do you deserve God's forgiveness? Ask yourself that question, right? As Colossians 3, chapter 12, or Colossians chapter 3, verse 12 says this. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all else, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. That's how we should be, church, living like that which it takes the power of God to live that way. I don't know if you've tried it in your own power. You can't do it. You need Jesus to flow through your life. So let us not reject or dismiss others, whether they're our worst enemies or our closest friends. We have to be there for them because not only does Jesus understand when we personally are rejected, but he doesn't want us to do that to other people. He wants us to walk in love and let God keep us balanced in our life. Amen? Let's continue the last few verses. Verse 29 of Luke 4. And they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff. What a nice group of people. But passing through their midst, he went away. This, I really love this passage. 
I don't know if you guys like it. Do you like it? It doesn't matter because I like it and I, I want to preach on it, right? So we need to constantly be aware of the fact that Jesus can't fail. Right? Isn't that great? Maybe? Yes. Thank you. That's fantastic. We serve a God that doesn't fail. It is not in Jesus' nature to lose. Jesus does not lose. There's nothing that can come against him that Jesus is like, oh, no, what am I going to do? He's like, whatever. You know what I mean? Like, I created this. You know what I mean? Who do you think you are to come against me? And so it's fantastic to know that with Jesus in our lives, he doesn't, he doesn't lead us into failure. He always leads us into victory in one way or another. And I just, I love that we see this, that Jesus was mobbed, right? And, and they were taken, but he wasn't ready to die. He's like, I will soon. Not yet. Nobody does it. I choose. I lay down my life when I choose, right? He's completely in communion with the Father. And so you think that he was on a mission, right? And so as we are on a mission for Christ and doing what God has called us to do, there is no amount of force there's no amount of rejection. There's no amount of opposition that can stop Jesus from flowing through your life. The only one that has the power to do that is you. You can say no. Lord, not right now. You can say God's ask, telling you to witness to somebody, and you're like, no, not right now. He's asking you to trust him in an area. No, not right now. Only you have that. But if you trust in Jesus, he is going to flow through your life, and there's nothing that can come against you. And even if the entire world seems against you, and you are on the edge of a cliff, you can trust that God is going to provide a way. And if we really think about this, we see Jesus. I mean, I'm, I'm guessing the cliff wasn't just five feet away from the synagogue, right? He was probably mobbed for a little distance. They grabbed him up, snatched him up, right, and pushed him all the way to the cliff. Like, if that's ever happened to you, a mile, so you said? A mile? About a mile, right? That's a mile. That's a lot. And Jesus the whole time is trusting God. Trusting God, I know you're going to provide. He didn't put holy hands on anyone. Like Jesus wasn't laying the smack down on anybody, right? He was completely trusting God in that situation. And we see this, that haven't we been in those situations where it seems like everything's going and just pushing us and pushing us and pushing us, and there's no way out. And yet at the very last moment, God provided a way. He's like, now, just walk. Why is that significant? It's significant to me and hopefully to you that, to think that there are battles in our lives we don't even have to fight. There are situations we're going to come against. We don't even need to figure it out. We can just trust God like, God, I don't see it. You're going to do it. I just trust you. You, you have to. You have to because you win all the time. Jesus doesn't lose. And it, it reminds me of Psalm 23 where it says that God prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And you can be in a situation where everything in your life seems chaotic. Everything is, everyone's against you, the whole world against you, just situations are stacking up, and Jesus is right there. He lays out a table with a big old feast and like, sit down, fam, relax, I got you. And it's like that supernatural peace and comfort that only Christians can have in the midst of crisis because we know Jesus is there with us. He is guiding us. He is helping us. And even if you come up to a point where you don't see a way of escape and you just have to stand your ground. Isaiah 54, 17 says this. No weapon that is fashioned against you shall succeed. And you shall refute every tongue that rises against you in judgment. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. And their vindication from me declares, that, declares the Lord. No weapon that comes against you is going to succeed. No tongue, nothing people say. No matter whatever opposition is going to stop 
Jesus flowing through your life. Can we claim that over our lives? Can we claim that over our marriages? Can we claim that over our families, our situations, our circumstances? There's nothing that is going to stop me as long as I trust in Jesus, as long as I follow him. And so for us as Christians, we have to remember that every day we need to trust Jesus. We should be growing closer to Jesus. You need to put on the full armor of God every day. You need to abide in Christ so that he can talk to you and tell you what to do. And you may think, this is that great, that's great, Jordan, that you know, no weapon formed against me shall prosper and shall succeed. And that's great. But you know what? I've been hurt. And those weapons cut me deep. And they hurt me, right? They destroyed me in that moment. And I would dare to say, didn't it bring you closer to Christ? Because if you're abiding in Christ and something happens, doesn't that push you into more prayer? Doesn't that push you more into reading your word and spending more time with Jesus? And like, man, I'm, I'm struggling. I need to be closer. God, I need to be closer to you. I need more of you. And maybe some of the things God has let happen to you was because you were not drawing close to him. And he just wanted to spend time with you. Will God send some things just to test you so you draw closer to him? Absolutely. God wants you in communion with him. He wants to spend time with you. He wants to love you, and he wants to give you victory. He wants to bring restoration. He wants to bring healing into your life because we can trust that Jesus provides our victory. Amen. Thank you for listening to the SMCC Sermon Podcast. Be sure to visit us on the web at smcchurch.net. That's smcchurch.net.